Um, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Romans 15. Romans 15 is where we're going to be. If you do not have a Bible this morning, you can raise your hand. The guys in the back will get you a Bible uh, that you can borrow. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep this one, but just raise your hand if you need one. And we have a couple guys in the back who will hand one to you. Today is a big day, big day when it comes to looking at the book of Romans because we are going to finish what we started. We're going to finish this book today. We started back in September uh, when some of you were still but, but eighth graders going to school with your masks on. And now we are going to go ahead and finish this book. Uh, Romans today, we'll be looking at chapter 15. The second half of it, we'll be looking at chapter 16. It's 47 verses, and I thought to myself, can we do 47 verses today? Late July, some of you have not been in school for a while. This will be the longest I've asked you to look at something that's not your phone this whole summer, but I think you could do this. I know you're smart enough, you've got this. So today we're going to look at Romans. Uh, we're going to look at 47 verses. We're going to start in chap chapter 15, verse 14. We're going to go to the end of 16. You're going to hear me try to pronounce a lot of names that I definitely know how to pronounce. Uh, and one of the things, that I know you're tough, I want you to try to answer four questions as we read through it, okay? So to keep your mind engaged, four questions to try to answer. You're going to learn today the surprise purpose of the book of Romans. The book of Romans, a lot of people love it, but if you ask, why did Paul write this letter? A lot of people don't maybe have the right answer. So see if you can figure it out. The second, let's talk about travel plans. I know what your travel plans are. Many of you are getting on a bus at the end of July, what are Paul's travel plans? See if you can find out as we read through this, Paul's itinerary. The third question I'm going to ask is, do you know the difference between affect and effect? So just think on that. And the fourth question is that these two chapters help us understand why Christians bring gum to church. So just think about that. Look for those answers as we go through it, okay? Romans chapter 15, verses 14 to the end. Let's read Paul's ending to this letter to the Romans. Here we go. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit." In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain." And I hope to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, 
they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered them, or delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me, with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a worthy way of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and myself as well. All right, get ready for all those names for those who want to have kids in the next 10 years. Here's a good list of options. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those in the Lord, Tryphina, and I got to make sure we're here, Tryphosa, there we go. Greet the beloved Persis. No one here named Persis today, that's good. Who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over all of you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me, and the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. And that concludes our reading of Romans. If you've been doing a Bible reading plan the last year, we did it. We knocked out Romans. Let's pray and let's think about these, uh, this chapter and a half together. So Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time we've had to look at this book over 26 sermons over the last 10 months. Thank you for the truths that we've read about sin and forgiveness and change of heart and certainty of heaven. Help us today as we look at these 
last sections to understand how you would have us live. We love you, Lord. Help us to be doers of the word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, trivia time. Let's talk trivia here. Who can tell me, based on what we talked about, Paul's travel itinerary? What are his uh, upcoming vacation plans? Where is he going? Yes, talk to me. You just, you just knocked it out of the box right away. Jerusalem, and then Rome, and then Spain. Do you guys see that? He says, I want to go to Jerusalem uh, in order for, uh, to deliver money to help the people in need there. Then I'm going to come to you, Romans, and then I want to go to, a, to España, because who amongst us doesn't want to travel to Spain? Now, what, what is Paul's purpose for writing this book? Did you guys catch as to why then he writes this? Anybody get catching? Yeah, what do you think, Bidabak? That is a big part, and that is an interesting interruption. We're going to look at that because it's also like, hey, hey, hi, watch out for this guy. Hi, hi, hi. It's a, it's a very weird interruption there, but not quite. What do you guys think? Why does he write this? So he writes this to tell them he's coming. I'll tell you about it in a little. Let's see. Oh, I'll tell you later. Okay, let's look at this. Third one. Who could tell me the difference between affect and effect? Affect and effect. This is not in the text. I just wanted to know. Catherine, go ahead. That's right. So if I'm affecting you, verb, I'm doing something, it's an A. But if we're just talking about the effects, it's an E. Does everybody know that? Who, it's okay. You all got smarter in English today. So that's really good. And here's the last question. Based on this text, why do Christians bring gum to church? Everybody, why do we bring gum to church? Yeah? 1616 says, greet one another with a holy kiss. There you go. So if you ever wondered why Christians bring gum to church, that's the biblical proof right there. So... We'll have some interesting stuff with that later. Some of the guys are really excited about this. So anyway, <laughs> so let's think about this. What, a, what an interesting ending. Like this is a long ending. There's a long list of stuff. And all of this really is the ending. So let's, let's sort of remember what Paul has said. He wrote, I'm going to have you look back to chapter one really quick. We're not going to look at a ton of verses, but I just want to look at chapter one, verse 15. He told them he's coming. And remember, early at the beginning of the letter, he said, I've been wanting to come to you. I've been prevented from coming. I'd like to come speak to you. And he says, verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This has been about the gospel. If you're new with us this morning, I want to let you know, we don't, we don't always look at this long of a passage. We do always look at God's word because it is the word of God. And we see here what Paul's interest in. It's the gospel. That's that's the message of Christianity, the good news. And over the course of chapters 1 through 11, really, Paul unpacks the gospel. That man is sinful under the wrath of God. That goes for the irreligious people that run after sin. That goes for religious people who talk about sins that they themselves commit. All of us are hopelessly lost, and we can't do enough good things in order to be right with God because, well, sin dominates us. That's the beginning of the gospel message. And yet, we're made right through Jesus, through faith in Christ, by putting our trust in the work of Jesus, not just to help us, but to rescue us from our sin. Paul explains, because people go like, how can you just be made right with God by faith and not by stacking a bunch of works up? Well, you see, that's how Abraham in the Old Testament was made righteous. And just like Adam's one sin made everybody sinful, so Jesus' one perfect life can make everybody right before God, everybody who trusts in him. 
Not only can we receive forgiveness, he said, but you can get a new heart. Chapter 6, that you're free from sin, that even when you're doubting because of the sin of your life, you look to the work of Christ to know that all my sin has been defeated. It's what we sing about, the mercy of God in sending Jesus to die for sinners. That was, that was pretty much chapters 1 through 11. We've looked the last few weeks, chapters 12 through 14. We are then living sacrifices. We live to the Lord as an act of worship. So now let's ask a, a fair question at the end of this book. How should your life be any different now than it was back in September because your high school group went through the book of Romans? Now, income, new freshmen, you're, I guess, off the hook. You've only been with us for a little over a month. But the rest of us, what should our life, how should our life be different if we've now spent 10 months looking at this letter? So much has changed in 10 months. You don't have to go to public school with masks anymore. Omicron has come and gone. The Rams have won a Super Bowl. But, but what in your life personally has changed, or what at least should have changed as a result of studying this book? That's what Paul tells us now. That's what Paul's going to give us. If you want to give a title to this, you can call it The Effects. There we go, Effect. That's the only reason I did that question. I didn't want you to misspell. The Effects of the Gospel. Because the book of Romans is a book about the gospel, and what sort of effects should the gospel have in my life? If this is such good news, how should this change me? And what I want you to see in these ending chapters is three effects of the gospel. If I have heard about it and if I've believed it, how should this change my life? Three takeaways, very practical this morning as we look at the end of this. Number one, let's talk about how the gospel affects your ambitions. The gospel, the good news of Jesus dying in the place for sinners who could otherwise not save themselves, the gospel affects your ambitions. Ambitions. Now, there is some, uh, I could hear some people saying, is ambition a fair word to ask of high school students? You know, people don't usually see high school students as very ambitious people. Let's define that word. Ambition, according to the dictionary.com, is an earnest desire for some type of achievement or distinction power, honor, fame, wealth, and the willingness to strive for its attainment. And as I've gotten to know you people, I know you are ambitious people. You're maybe not as ambitious in the way that the the world would want you to be ambitious. Some of you are ambitious in, uh, we'll say, more trivial things, uh, ambitious for video games and streamers and ambitious for sports excellence or social reputation. You work hard at it. You have dreams. But others of you, I know you, you work hard on Oh, we'll say bigger goals. Some of you really work hard at GPAs. Everyone has that friend in their group. You can kind of look at them out of the corner of your eye that you know they're a good student. They're studying. They'll say no to Friday night hangouts so that they can pass the test on Monday. Some of you have a college that you're trying to get into. You have a career that you're working for. You have financial planning you're going for. You have dreams and ambitions. I know that you have creative energies. I love the creative energies I see in you with, with flyer designs and we'll have video announcements and the way you guys get ready for camp. I love how high school students, when they set their mind to something and they're passionate about something, there's a lot you can accomplish. And what Paul here is modeling for the church at Rome is his ambition. He says in verse 14, everything I've said, of chapter 15 now, go back to chapter 15, verse 14. He says, everything I've said, I'm, I'm satisfied about you, my brothers. You're full of goodness. You're filled with knowledge. You're able to instruct one another. And in one sense, everything I've said, you already know. I've not taught you 
anything. This wasn't Paul introducing the gospel to people who hadn't heard it before. In fact, he, he writes to them, he says, on some points I have written to you boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul's ministry was to help those who didn't come from Jewish descent but non-Jewish descent meet the God who's rescued the Jews and well, rescued everyone else who put his trust in him. That's his aim. He, he wants to reach those who are totally unfamiliar with the Bible, totally unfamiliar with the religion of one God. That's Paul's aim. And he wants to bring about the obedience, he said, of the Gentiles, that they would come to put their faith in Jesus. He describes it as it's God's work. I have reason to be proud of my work for God in verse 17. And I'll venture to speak nothing except what Christ has accomplished through me. But then we read more about Paul's work. Look at verse 19. He says again, the second half, by signs, powers, wonders, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. That is, uh, that is Jerusalem all the way to what would be like modern day Albania. I'm going to ask you to do something I never do. For one minute, go ahead and pull out your phone. Go ahead and do it. You're really good at this. And you're going to do a good job of putting it away. And I want you to go to your Maps app, and I want you to, to look up Israel. Israel, there we go. Or just Jerusalem, that would be even better. Go ahead and look up Jerusalem on your Maps app. There you go. Raise your hand when you got it, or put your phone up. Okay, you got this. Come on, there we go. Some people got it. That's good. Okay, and you're going to zoom out a little bit. Uh-oh, now, now let's see how the Wi-Fi gets. You're going to zoom out until you could see Jerusalem. And in Europe, there's a country also known as Albania. Does anyone find Albania? Can you see, can somebody locate Albania if you need to find the two? And what you'll see is what Paul has said is I have been striving and I have accomplished that all of those regions from Jerusalem over to Albania, that all the Gentiles in that region, 1,400 mile distance, have heard the gospel. That's his aim. He wants to preach. That's a, it's, a pretty, uh, it's a pretty large gap. My, my Wi-Fi is not working, so good job for you guys if you've got it there. Okay, you can close your phones now. That's good. Okay, I just wanted you to see that there. He's wanted the gospel to get there. And he says, it's as if he's, verse 22, he says, that's why I've been so caught up in my work. I haven't been able to get to you guys because I've been trying to plant churches and strengthen churches so that everyone in all those places would hear the gospel. Now notice, Paul in the middle of this tells us his goal. Look at verse 20. Thus, I make it my ambition. This is my desire. This is what I'm striving for. This is, this is how I'm uh, orienting my life to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I don't want to go where people don't know the gospel. I don't want to go somewhere where people are already familiar with Jesus, uh, where they're already familiar with how you can be forgiven of your sins, with how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's plans. I want to go somewhere where people have not yet heard it. In fact, I know that's what God is doing. Verse 21, he has promised this, that those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. I want to go preach the gospel there. And that's why, verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And so now you understand this letter. This letter is a little bit of a sales pitch, okay? I want to go to you Romans. I've not been able to, but here's the gospel, right? In detail, glorious. Look how amazing God is. Do you, do you like what I'm having to say? 
good, now that you like what I'm having to say, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and come to you. I'd like to go from you to Spain, and I'd like you to help me. Do you get that? that that's his, it's a sales pitch a bit. And, I, and when we think sales pitch, we think like, well, that, that sounds maybe twisted, nefarious. But that's, that's not what Paul's aims are. He has good aims. I want to preach this gospel to those people, and I'd love for you to help me. That's Paul's aim in this. Here's the gospel that you love. Okay, there's a bunch of people who haven't heard it yet. So help me go preach it to them. That's my ambition. That's what I'm striving for. And Paul's hope is that he'd stir up their, uh, their support for that. Now, there, there is, in a sense, a good lesson here about, uh, I don't know, how we as believers spend our money. <laughs> we, we give money for the purpose of those who are going to share the gospel. Um, there's plenty of organizations out there that help people. I love that our church supports organizations that help people's souls. One of the ways we do that is every year we help out with Children's Hunger Fund, which is really cool to have a company that, or an organization that doesn't just send food packs to people, but they make sure that the gospel gets to those people as well, spiritual food. That said, we're not just supposed to see that as a uh, good spending habit. We see this as a model. That is, when you, student, hear the good news of forgiveness, of that we're totally lost, and yet God, who knows our sin, loves us in Christ, wipes out our sins, secures our future with him forever. When you hear that news, part of your response should be, other people have got to hear this. Other people have got to know. They've got to know how their sins can be forgiven. They've got to know how they could be rescued in Christ, that they have an eternity with the Father, that they could be adopted by the Father. This news has got to get out. Students, the greatest need of our day is, is not dealing with inflation or gas prices. The biggest need of our day is that sinners would hear the forgiveness of Christ. It's not just that they would change on the outside. No, that they'd be forgiven and have their hearts changed on the inside. And the way that happens is through gospel proclamation. There are people out there who have no gospel, or there are people out there who have a false gospel. People who think Christianity is some sort of political sect or some moral uh, change class. No, we want to preach the good news. There are people who live, who, or sorry, who are born, who live their whole lives and who die without anyone ever explaining the gospel to them. There are countries around the world that do not want the gospel, will attack the governments who will persecute those who try to bring the gospels in. There are rebels awaiting the wrath of God, empty searchers who know they're missing something and don't know what they're missing. And our job as believers is to do what we can to get the good news to them. My pastor, the church I grew up in, used to say, the only two things we can't do in heaven that we can do on earth is sin and evangelize. Which one do you think God left you here for? Right? He wants us to proclaim the good news, that you can be righteous in Christ, that you could be loved by someone who actually knows all your faults, that God goes from being your enemy to your father, that you can be changed from the inside out. Who is going to tell them? Student, what is your ambition? What are your aims? Not every Christian will participate in the same way when it comes to the Great Commission, but all will be earnestly involved because we love the Lord, because we love to share good news, 
and we love sinners who are lost without Christ. So student, I would just ask, how are you using your talents? How are you using your time? How are you using whatever resources you have, whatever knowledge you have? How are you using those things for the sake of the gospel? Who do you continue to interact with that's never heard the truth? Or maybe it's only heard it one time, but, but they're not familiar with it. Or you don't keep earnestly trying to reach them. How on your campus are people actually going to hear what a Christian's like? You go on the news this week when none of you are in school, when no one's maybe interacting with real Christians, and Christians are a political group that hate people and want control. Wednesday night, for some new visitors, when we talked about transgenderism, was the first time that some people had heard that Christians disagree with that lifestyle, but don't hate those people. So you've got a bunch of people in your life who think Christianity is this. Who's going to tell them if you don't? Like, I don't, I don't see CNN or, you know, TikTok outlets anytime soon going, here's the real Christianity. Who's going to tell the people that God has put in your life if you don't? How are you planning now for that? How are you planning right now? Don't, don't wait till the first week of August. How are you planning now to share the good news of Christ dying in the place for sinners who are otherwise hopeless on your campus? How are you going to do that? I love verse 20. Paul says, It is my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. You know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll wrap up this point. In our culture, so much of life is pointed towards rest, ease. How do I find the most simple life, the most comfortable housing situation, um, how do I make sure that you know I, I'm, I'm well-rested and taken care of? Paul says that part of his grid for how he makes life decisions is how can I be a part of getting to the gospel where it's currently not being proclaimed? Friends, that should be our heart as well. That should be your heart as well. When Look, it, it's easy when life's about us to then make decisions with life that's about us. But when we think about Christ dying for our sin, we think about that you have been forgiven. The joy of knowing that when you pray to God, he hears you and loves you. Friends, that joy should compel us to share the good news with others, especially those who have never heard. So number one, that's the gospel effects on your ambitions. What sort of dreams are you having in life? And, and where does evangelism rank on that list of priorities? It should be higher. Number two, the gospel affects your community. The gospel affects your community. This is chapter 16, verses 1 through 23. And, and as I read this, there were a lot of names in here. We do have, we have had Jasons in here. There's a Julia in here, I'm sure, right now. So there's some names. Uh, the, a Mary in here. Urbanus, any Urbanus? I like Urbanus. That's a good one. Uh, so that'd be a good one there. But anyway, what do we, what do, we do with this? It's really funny because it's like, verse 1 and 2, here's a letter of recommendation for Phoebe. She's great. You don't know her. She's bringing this letter. She's awesome. That's all you got to know. Then verses 3 to 16, say hi to all these people. 
And verse 21 to 23, all these people say hi to you. And right in the middle, as Bidawak pointed out, verses 70 to 20, watch out for that guy. So she's awesome. Hey, y'all, watch out for this homie. And these people say hi to you. And that's what happens in verses 1 through 23. So what are we supposed to do with it? This is where it feels personal. Some of you are worried you're committing a felony, reading someone else's mail or something like that. What I love about this passage is, one, is it does show, like, the I think it points to the reality of the Bible. Uh, I think it points to... Uh, a realness. It wasn't fabricated in a back lab. What's the most religious document we can come up with? Because this, this feels authentic. This feels real. But I think the message here that I understand is the gospel will affect your friends. It will. It will affect your relationships. The gospel, though it is a personal decision, it is not a private religious life that you live. There is a community of believers that you're then brought into and interact with. And what do we do in this community? Well, it's, uh, it's we, from this section, we see uh, Paul affirming who these uh, people should love. That's what those first two verses are. This is about Phoebe. Phoebe possibly brought this letter to the Romans. She was a servant of the church. But it says, I commend to you our sister, Phoebe. So listen, church at Rome, believers, you've never met this woman before, but you need to know that she is your sister in Christ. You have something in common that even though you never met, she is like a, a long lost relative you've never interacted with before. And you treat her as more than just an acquaintance, you treat her like a relative. They're connected in Christ. In fact, part of the reason why Paul's mentioning all these people is so that the church at Rome would understand kind of who their family is. I was trying to think of an illustration. I'm like, what would this be like in our terms? Who's was with us and left at one point? I was like, well, North Bible study, you know, the Ames just left a few weeks ago. They'd uh, helped for years. So imagine like a month from now or maybe a year from now, you're getting a letter from Jeremy. He's saying, say hi to this person, say hi to this person, greet that person, etc." And as you hear those names, you go, oh, Jeremy loved Jesus. I loved Jeremy. Jeremy loves that person too. Therefore, I should love that person because of our connection in Christ. So, so Paul's pointing with this very familial section that even though I don't know all these people very well, because they love Christ, there's an automatic closeness that exists. Believers who are in the family of God should love their siblings who are also in the family of God because there's a genuine love and relationship there. But there's also in this discernment. We see that. I appeal to you, watch out for those who ca cause divisions. He says that he watch out for people that talk like this, for contentious people. Christian love is not love without distinction. Okay, Christian love doesn't just say, well, I love everybody equally, because Paul here says, watch out for those who cause trouble. Watch out for those who cause division. I'll watch out for those who stir up strife and who prey on the naive with their smooth talks in order to use this community, it says, to feed their own appetites, verse 18. Some of you think, wait, I thought Christians are supposed to be loving. Yes, we are called to be loving. We're not called to be dumb. We're called to show discernment. We're called to realize that there are some people we need to love on and there are other people that are dangerous and we should not embrace them the same way. Students, I'm going to talk about this in a second. You need to know that friendship is the most amazing gift that you could be, one of the most amazing gifts you can be given. And friendship is potentially extremely 
dangerous. All through the Bible, there is warning for the people of God to be careful of how they make friends with those who are not a part of the people of God. So Paul here says, watch out for this guy. That's why we as staff, you'll often hear us talk to you about who your friends are. And we will express concern with who your friends are if we see you maybe not hanging with the right crowd. Why? What's the big deal? They're my friends. Well, here's why. Verse 19, he says, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. He says, watch out for that guy. Here's why. Because you're an obedient church, and I rejoice over your obedience. I love that you're obeying God. Christians actually obey God. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. I want you to be careful because there are those who will provoke you to sin. There are those who will provoke you to evil. Some by saying, let's just outright reject the teaching of God. Others with sort of a masked kind of faith that loves self rather than the Lord. Paul says, be careful because who your friends are will affect you. This, he says it elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. All right, so just like good people can have an effect on each other, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so do bad people. Christian, who are your friends? As, as Christians, we can have some friendship with the world. Obviously, we're supposed to share the gospel with the world, but your deepest friends should be with the godliest people in your life. Why does Paul say this? Why is he saying be careful? Here's why. Look at verse 20. He says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Okay, so, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Listen, there's a day coming when Satan will be destroyed and the workers of Satan will be destroyed and the works of Satan will be destroyed. There's a day when sin is going to be no more. So don't associate with people that are going to cause you to sin because sin's almost over. You don't need to wait it out much longer. It's almost there. God is going to have this victory. He's going to establish his kingdom forever. Christ will reign over all. So be careful with sin, even if it means cutting off those who make you sin. Christian, I would, I would say today, please do not be naive. Don't be naive with your friend group. Some of you continue to cling with a group of friends that maybe aren't Christians or like, oh, they're just pseudo-Christians. You say, well, I'm evangelizing them. And I would just say maybe for some of you, wake up. Is that true? Are you having more an effect on them or are they having an effect on you? Are your pseudo-Christian friends becoming more zealously passionate about Jesus because of you, or are you becoming more selectively obedient because of them? Don't be deceived. Who you hang with is going to affect who you are. And sin is real. Sin is dangerous. The sin that your goofy friends does is sinful enough to condemn you. So, so don't walk in it. Christ is coming soon to establish his kingdom. Strive for holiness. 
So we see that here. You want to notice who Paul affirms? As Christians, we affirm the right people. We discern who is an unbeliever to reach, but maybe not our bestie. But Paul also then, I love in this passage, last thing I want you to notice is the warmth in this passage. I love how personal it is. Greet this person. Greet this person. This guy, he's the first convert in Asia. These people, they were believers before me. Do you see the way he talks about them? There is so much uh, warmth and sweetness. There's affection here. I think sometimes some of you are debating between, well, if I have to choose between my non-Christian friends and my Christian friends, that sounds like I'm choosing between fun and science museum field trip. Right? If I'm friends with Christian people, it's just going to be dull and boring. And what I love here is you have, no, no, there's real affection in Christian relationship. Like, like deep intimacy and care for other believers. Affection in the Lord. This person's in Christ, I'm in Christ. Affection in the work of ministry. I love this quote that C.S. Lewis says. Uh, he says, is there any place on earth as great as a circle of Christian friends by a fire? And I, I think that's so true. I mean, there's something about friendships with real believers, right? Because there's no facade. I mean, un- unbelievers, often there's this sense of like, how do I establish my worth? As Christians, I already know you're condemned in your sin. I should be condemned in my sin. And, and so the Lord knows our sin. I don't feel like I need to put on a mask for you, right? I, I could be who I am and you could be who you are because the Lord knows who we are and has loved us both. There's real relationship that can come in sharing life together as you talk about tears and triumphs. Uh, I, I, I used to think that uh, you need like friend time and ministry time. My deepest friends are the people I get to serve with because we've shared prayers and we've shared ball games, tears, inside jokes, corrections with one another, and encouragements, birthday parties, and expressions of gratitude. When you live life with people that don't love themselves but just want to give out, because of a God who's given out his love for them, oh, that's where you find real friendship. It's the kind of joy that comes when that person gets saved you've both been praying for. And the joy that comes when you start walking in holiness because of what they've pointed out in your life. There is real warmth and joy. Nothing better than to be loved by those who have no desire to gain and who want to give themselves as a result of Christ giving himself to them. So real friendship is found in the gospel. If you want to experience deep friendships, you ever wonder why at camp, you're like, man, why are we all so, like, so sentimental and close right now? It's because you've gotten your eyes off yourself. You've gotten over how great you are. And when you have two people who are obsessed with Christ, that's where real friendship can begin. If you want to be a better friend to your friend group, be a better Christian and enjoy the friendship that comes with the gospel. I love that the gospel makes life better. Finally, number three, the gospel, we already said, affects your ambition, it affects your community. Finally, number three, the gospel affects your strength. The gospel affects your strength. This ends, these last three verses, it ended with a doxology. It ends with praise to God. And this is not just a way to end. There's a lot of emotion here. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, in verse 27, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Christ Jesus. Amen. I mean, this functions similar uh, to in a book, there's the dedication page on the front end. This is like the dedication page on the back end. All glory goes to God. 
And he ends on that high note, saying that all praise goes to God, to the only wise God, be glory forever, fame, that we would celebrate him and enjoy him and lift him up and talk about him as the greatest thing. He ends by saying, there's no one greater than who God is. He's astounded by him, which is a good reminder for us as believers. It's not just knowing factually but enjoying and celebrating who God is. That's what worship is, expressing his worth. Now, why does Paul express his worth? I'm gonna work through this paragraph backwards. So it ends, now to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Why does God get this glory, now to him be the glory? Well, it's because of the gospel. It's because of the message of truth that we worship God. It says, Take a look there. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. That is, this message of Christ dying for sinners was not always, well, so clear. Sorry, we talked about that last week. We won't rehash it again. How the Old Testament, there's this sort of anticipation. We know there's someone that's going to crush the head of the serpent. We know there's going to be a king that reigns forever. We know God is going to send a Messiah, a Savior. And then, boom, Jesus comes. It says, verse 28, he has now been disclosed. Right? He has now been revealed. We know the good news. This is Christ, the Son of God. This is the one who's going to reign. This is the one who died for sinners. And not only is it known through the prophetic writings, through the Old Testament scriptures, through the well, the, really the people of Israel, but has been made known to all nations. So today, the good news that God has shared is not selective good news. It's not private invitation good news, but God has made it known so that every continent on the planet right now, people know that there was a sacrifice that, that can cover their sins that God can cast their sins into the sea and remember them no that there remember them no more there's hope to be right with a holy god and why does that good news exist end of verse 26 it says according to the command of the eternal god god is not a stingy savior He's not reluctant in his pursuit of sinners. He wants everybody to know about his son. Listen, we read earlier about God's holiness, his otherliness, his supremacy over us. Friend, if you're new with us this morning, the holiness of God is good news because we know nobody who's as pure and great as he is. It's also bad news. As Isaiah said, woe is me. When I see God's greatness and his sinlessness, and I see my sinfulness, I should be condemned. I rightly deserve God's wrath. But God wants you to know not only that message, but that there is then forgiveness in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Right? He lived a perfect life, but he was treated as if he lived our sinful life. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God through him. That our sinful life would be put on Christ and his perfect life would be given to us. And therefore the love the Father has for the Son would be put on us as well. That's the good news and it was all planned by God. Not something he was tricked into, but something he wanted to do. 
to rescue those who hated him as long as they believed him. So the end of there, verse 26 says, to bring about the obedience of faith. Faith is an act of obedience. And to obey this holy God is not just to obey him casually or selectively or every other day. To obey him is to put your faith in him, to trust him, to give your life over to him. Student, this morning, some of you need to obey by putting your faith in Christ, by receiving the forgiveness that God has decreed from eternity that he wants to bestow on all who believe in his son. And you need to obey by admitting that you're a sinner, by admitting that you're lost, by not just thinking you have flaws or I'm just a high school boy, but saying, no, I'm a wicked rebel who deserves God's wrath and turning to Jesus to rescue you. You know what God's eternal plan is? That anybody who does that will be forgiven. Do you know why you can be forgiven this morning? Not just because the earnestness of your faith, but because that's God's plan to forgive those who repent and turn in Jesus. Do that today. Do not rebel, but turn to Christ. Now I said we were going to do this passage backwards. We see again, verse 25 to 27, it ends with glory to God. It's glory to God who has given us the gospel, the good news. But it began with this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. Isn't that interesting? The gospel doesn't just save. The gospel strengthens. I think sometimes as Christians, if you've grown up in church, the God is holy, man is sinful, Jesus died formula can be a bit repetitive. Take your Bible, let's go to one cross, go to your right, that way, go to your right, 1 Peter. Uh, if you hit 2 Peter or 1 John or anything, you went too far. I always get 1 Peter and James mixed up where they are in the order, so James, 1 Peter, help you out. 1 Peter, let's take a look at chapter one. Peter here is writing, And he's talking about the good news of the gospel, which was, uh, well, it says verse 10, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. They, uh, the gospel was uh, foretold, maybe not in all its details and fullness, but people knew the good news of a Savior, of a Messiah. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that wrote these, they were not serving themselves but you, in the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit from heaven, things in which angels long to look. It says the good news, things into which angels long to look. That it's angels long to look into the good news of the gospel, the forgiveness for sinners. That word there for long is actually the word lust. It just means a strong desire. And they have this strong desire, this sense of wonder, when they, who are around the throne of God, consider God rescuing sinners through Jesus Christ, offering forgiveness. Angels are amazed by it. They've been around a long time. And they continue to be amazed at the work and the grace of God. 
For us, friends, we must be the same. The good news cannot become old news. The gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z. And here what we find is that when we think about our sin and we think about what God has done for us, it strengthens. Now to him who strengthens us according to the gospel. That word there strengthens has the idea of it's strengthening against sin and it's strengthening against trials. When temptations and trials come into my life, I am strengthened how? How do people get motivated nowadays? They turn up loud music, you know, listen to some self-empowerment music. I've got the eye of the tiger, higher, wider than whatever. And, and so that's not how Christians get motivated. We don't fight against sin and we don't stand firm in trials by just working it up in ourselves. No, we think about the message of the gospel. We think about how sinful we were prior to coming to Christ. For some of us, we think about the way that we ignored and even rebelled against those who tried to teach us the gospel growing up in church. We think about the way we laughed about and shared the way we disobeyed God. We think about his mercy coming to us. We think about a camp or a sermon or a parent or a specific text that God used to reach into our hearts, to cause us to believe in him, to rescue us. We think about that though I'm sinful now, he still uses me to proclaim this good news. And though I'm sinful now, he keeps forgiving me. And more than forgiving me, he's growing me. Any growth I've had is because of what God has done in my life, not because of my own uh, thoughtfulness. And I think about how he still loves me and he's my father and he's going to bring me home. And that gospel which saved me continues to strengthen me. Every day I remember I'm nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. And every day I remember that I'm God's child that he will bring home. That's the gospel we meditate on. That's the gospel that strengthens you in this life. And that's the gospel that at the end of our days, when we enter into glory, we will give all glory to God. No boasting in ourselves, no bragging in our own goodness, but all of it was God through and through. To him be the glory. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this great study in the book of Romans. Lord, I, I do pray for these students that they would be doers and not just hearers. That they would be those who love your word, who love your son, who love the lost, and who love you, Lord. Lord, thank you for the time we've had today to study your text. Help us to have the ambition to get this good news out. And may the good news continue to keep us faithful. Thank you for being a better God and Father to us than we deserve. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.